0: Hello and welcome to Isme and Conversation. This podcast is all about advice for leaders of independent businesses. My name is Ed Palmer and I ask our guests for the best pieces of advice that they've ever received as well as the worst. They'll also be sharing practical and implementable tips for business leaders. On this episode we have Melissa Danks of 43 Legal who provide legal services to businesses but their approach is markedly different from that of other commercial law firms. I'll leave it to Melissa to explain more as we go on. So with that said hello Melissa welcome can you please start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah of
1: course Um, I'm Melissa Danks I am A business owner and a solicitor, and I recently started my own law firm, 43 Legal.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. Have you always wanted to be a lawyer? Can you recall when you first wanted to be a lawyer?
1: Yeah, I was relatively young when I um, realized what I wanted to do. I initially decided that I wanted to do the law from about the age of 13, possibly because I liked a good argument and I was very into debating and all the rest of it about the age of 13, I decided that's what I wanted to do. I decided that I would channel my education in a way where I could open up the doors or the avenues to enter into a career in law, basically.
0: That's pretty young, isn't it? 13 to know exactly what you wanted to do with your life. I don't think I even know now. Has it ever wavered? Has it always been the case that you wanted to do law? Has it ever changed?
1: I think the problem is, for me, is that I don't really know what else I could do. (laughs) I really love solving problems. So that's, I think, where the passion arises for me in terms of the law, finding a problem and then finding the solution to it. There's a bit of a buzz to that.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. Is that how you'd sell it to somebody who was a kid who was interested in the law? You know, that problem-solving element.
1: I suppose you've just got to follow your passion, haven't you? And you identify the things that, that make you happy and drive you and get you out of bed in the morning. And once you find that, then the rest sort of falls into place.
0: Now, I have heard from other lawyers, and this may be completely wrong, but that law is quite a traditional sector, and therefore there are challenges to people who are not necessarily from the traditionally appropriate parts of society, who would traditionally enter the law. There are challenges to people who aren't from that sector. Did you face challenges in achieving that dream of becoming a lawyer, and were you aware of them at the time?
1: Oh, yeah, I definitely did. Back at the age of 13, I, I wasn't aware at all. But when I started to embark on the process of identifying what it was that I needed to do, I started to identify those challenges. I wasn't aware of the problem until I visited the careers advisor at my school. I mean, we're nearly 30 years ago now, so I'm sure careers advisors in schools are a lot different these days. But I remember I sat before her and um, she asked what it was that I was looking to do. And I said that I wanted to go into law. And she said to me, are you sure? And I specifically remember wondering why she was questioning it. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely want to go into law. And she said, well, you're in a comprehensive school. And looking at your predicted grades, it's unlikely that you're going to get into a red brick University and she said, and, and forgive me, but your family have no involvement with the law or have any legal background. And I said, that's correct. Yeah. And my dad's um, a plastic molding engineer. And she said, are you sure you really want to do this? Would clerical work not be more appropriate? I looked at her and she said, you I know, mean, after all, you, you are female. <laughs> I just thought, oh, crikey. Um, I, I just remember looking at her and I just said, no, just watch me. And I got up and I walked out of the room. Yeah, there certainly were challenges back then for what I wanted to do.
0: That's really interesting. So it was a class thing, it was a gender thing. Has the legal profession changed its perspective or do those traditional stereotypes still persist?
1: I'd like to think it's changed. Certainly now I see a lot more females coming through the ranks. Certainly in the firms that I've been involved with historically, we were seeing a lot more females looking to take up those roles. So... I'd like to think that it's changed and I've certainly got to where I wanted to be. So there's still challenges out there, obviously, and I think that's always going to be the case. But I'd I'd like to think that a 16 or 15-year-old Melissa sat in front of a careers advisor now, I'd like to hope that the response was a bit different, let's put it that way.
0: So this podcast is all about advice because the Is Me and Co platform that this podcast is affiliated with is all about finding the best business advice. So we want you to tell us, if you don't mind, Melissa, the best piece or one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received.
1: It's quite a difficult question because you get offered so much advice along the way. But I think probably one of the pieces of advice that resonate with me is don't live with what if and um, trust your gut and you can't go wrong.
0: Do you think in your business career you've followed that advice? Have you been somebody who has pushed ahead despite potential obstacles? Is is that something you've not only used to become a lawyer, but also in your business career with Force Three Legal?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, when I when I joined the College of Law to do my LPC, the fees back then were twelve thousand pounds, which is a lot of money. And I didn't have it. So I had to go in get a loan from the bank to be able to pay that and a lot of people said to me at the time are you sure you really want to be doing that that's a lot of debt Um, and I actually remember turning around to a number of people and I just turned around to them and I said well the problem is if I don't I live with a what if the rest of my life and to be honest with you I'd rather get into the debt I'll be able to pay it off, hopefully, at some point anyway. And if I don't make it, I don't make it, but at least I know. And that's sort of what has driven me all the way along. I mean, setting up 43 Legal, there are probably some cynics out there that thought setting up your own law firm sole practitioner, you know, the risks associated with that, you know, small businesses, they fail generally between one to three years. But again, I'd rather live with knowing that it failed rather than not having tried and, and never actually knowing.
0: That's quite a lot of self-awareness for somebody quite young, isn't it? To worry about the notion of having to live with a what-if.
1: People that know me would probably just say it with my determination. <laughs> if somebody told me I couldn't do something, I certainly would go out and prove them wrong. So last year, going off the subject slightly, I actually won the London Marathon last October. In February, I hadn't won anything more than 5k.
0: Was it that same psychological driving force that propelled you to doing the marathon, i.e., the what-if thing.
1: I think it's that that sort of part of you that thinks you can't do that. I don't like that, so I would rather give it a go and see what happens. So I try and take the negative thought and feeling and try and drive it into a positive outcome.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Let's go back to your burgeoning legal career as to where we're at at the story. We discussed that training contracts can be tricky to get your hands on, How did you get your training contract and where did you end up?
1: Yeah, okay. When I was doing my LPC, I did my LPC at the College of Law in Birmingham. So during the course of my LPC, I was frantically trying to find a training contract. I was sending off various letters, application forms. I think from memory, I, I wrote about 150 letters to various different firms across the West Midlands to enquire as to whether or not they were looking to provide a training contract. And I remember I had a letter come through from a local firm called Hill Hitchman Solicitors. They basically said, we'd like to invite you in for an interview. And back then, we finished the LPC sort of early to mid-June. And um, my interview was arranged for the day after we actually finished the course and we broke up for study leave. There was a group of us that were friends from on the course who said, right, let's go out and let's have a night out in Birmingham, celebrated the fact that we've actually finished the RPC. One of my friends, Lorna, she said, come on, Mal, you, let's go out and have a night out. Let's blow the cobwebs away. I said, look, that's fine, Lorna, but I've got got my interview for my training contract in the morning. She said, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. You'll be fine. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come for one. Come about 11 o'clock, I was still there. And I said to Lauren, I said, I've I've got to go because I I need to go for this interview in the morning. She said, okay, ma, but just one more drink. And about 10 minutes later, I saw this figure moving across the the dance floor in front of me. And as she started coming to view, (laughs) I could see that she was carrying a a silver bucket and these two glasses, these two champagne flutes. And so two o'clock that morning, I was trying to find a taxi home having I shared this bottle of um, fizz with Lorna to wake up in the morning feeling absolutely horrendous and I remember standing in the shower that morning I think my interview was about 11 o'clock in the morning at at 10 o'clock I was just standing underneath the shower thinking what on earth have you done Melissa your one opportunity of all those letters that you've sent and you've decided to blow it I went to the interview and I remember um, sitting in front of Mike Cosserhill, who is still a friend of mine now. And, he, you know, we started the interview and he went through the various usual sort of questions that you ask in those circumstances. And he asked what I particularly um, enjoyed the most about university, to which I responded by saying, well, I met some great people and I went out and drank quite a bit. To which he turned around and said, oh, that's very good. So you improved your social and communication skills then. I just died in the seat and I just thought, well, I've just blown it now. So I completely relaxed and I just thought there's no chance they're going to offer me this training contract. And then after the event, a friend of mine who's still at the firm, who's now a partner, she was in the office next door and she said, oh, how did it go? And he said, fantastic. She likes to go out, party and enjoys herself. She'll fit in absolutely perfectly here. And I was offered the training contract and... I started in the July and that was the start of my career. All
0: right, so that was your training contract. Tell us about HCB, the law firm. What made it different for you? Why did you move?
1: Well, HCB was a bit later on down the line. I I moved from my training firm to a firm in the city. Um, And then, well, to be honest with you, I sort of fell out of love a bit with, with the law, the manner in which legal services was being offered, wasn't to my expectations let's put it that way so I thought maybe the law wasn't for me and I came across Mike Garn who was managing partner of a firm called Harris Cooper Walsh who then subsequently became HCB. and he re-engaged my sort of optimism and desire for the law I suppose in the sense that his outlook was in a lot more of a, a business way he was wanting to I suppose Create a firm that was more a business advisor as opposed to looking purely at the law. He was trying to create a situation where there was a wraparound effect for business clients so that they had the ability to access legal advice, whilst also the challenges that businesses sort of identify generally. Mike's vision encapsulated a bit more in my own mind as to how I wanted to move forward in terms of. My legal profession and my career. So I joined HCB, and during my time there, which I believe is probably about 11 years, I became their first and I think their only sort of homegrown director on the board. Along the way, we acquired various different firms and we, we got a lot bigger, and it became a, a national law firm. I learned such invaluable knowledge, not just of the law, but in terms of business and how business operates. So the decisions that you make, the costs that you incur, your profit and loss, cash flow, all those sorts of things. It was that sort of insight that I gleaned.
0: Okay, so question leading on from that, when when did you first get that nagging doubt that it might be time to set out on your own to start your own business?
1: It's sort of materialised over time. I don't, I don't know whether I can pinpoint exactly when it was. I started to feel as though... I wasn't really servicing the clients as I would like, and that sort of sent me on a trail of thought, really. I had assisted in-house counsel of larger corporates on product-specific issues, and I had had an insight into how they sort of operate. The fact that they're always within the business, they sit on the board, they're able to give a steer from a legal perspective, identify legal risk. And provide solutions from within the business. So those corporates have that on-hand legal advice available to them. And over time, it started to weigh in in my mind that SMEs don't really have that opportunity because they can't afford to hire their own solicitors or barristers in-house. And so I started to think how they were disadvantaged in, in that respect. It made no sense to me that SMEs they have to identify the legal problem that they've got to then go to private practice solicitors and say, this is my problem, can you provide me with a solution? When you might be great at running a business, but if you haven't got the knowledge of what legal issues manifest within a business, I'm not sure how you can identify the problems to then be able to find the solution. So I then embarked upon the process of discovery (laughs) in terms of setting up a regulated law firm of my own.
0: There's a a recurring theme, isn't there? Becoming a lawyer, running a marathon, setting up 43 Legal. Your concern about a nagging doubt about not having done things is brilliant. Okay, so back to this notion of advice. Do you have for us, please, a second piece of great advice that, that you've received in your life?
1: The one that springs to mind is probably concentrate on things you can control and don't worry about the things that you can't.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I think worrying about those things that you can't control is a waste of our energy and our time, but it takes up so much of a thought process, especially around setting up a business. There's so many elements, so many moving parts. How do you identify what you can control and what you can't? And have you got any tricks for putting aside those things you can't control? How do you do it?
1: I think it's very hard and I think human nature is that we do get bogged down, don't we, in those things. We worry about things that, that trigger that emotional response um, rather than perhaps having clarity of thought to think, well, that's fine, but me worrying about it isn't going to make the situation any different. So I may as well concentrate on what I can control and influence and
0: progress, so to speak. Do you practice any sort of techniques, mindfulness or journaling or?
1: Yeah, I don't know whether I would specifically say, right, I have a period of mindfulness every day. I try and be grateful when I wake up in the morning and be appreciative of the opportunities that I've had. I do journal whether or not it's the appropriate method. I I don't know, but um, it's more being conscious of yourself. I do try and... Live in the now, so to speak. I don't try and dwell in what's happened or think too much about the future. And when those clouds come over and you start doubting yourself, to so just think, well, you just got to do your best and just, you know, do what you can and don't worry about those things that you have no control over.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. That's fantastic advice. Right. So, purpose. And I apologize if we've already covered this, but we hear a lot about purpose in 2023 businesses and purpose. Do you have a purpose at 43 Legal? Is that something that's important to you? And if so, what is that purpose?
1: The purpose really, it stems back to what, what I said before, which is to be able to provide legal services to SMEs in a manner that they can afford and, and which provides them with access to legal advice from within their own business. So my Background is dispute resolution, so more often than not, I am engaged in a distress, distress, purchase. Really, that something's gone wrong, and they need help in trying to deal with that specific issue. But what I'm I'm trying to achieve is to use that as a means to help identify what might go wrong before it actually happens. So, more often than not, disputes arise within business. There could have been a solution found before the event. So, for example. If you have a breach of contract claim, generally speaking, the, the claim arises because the contract is deficient. Either there's no contract in place at all or the relationship between the parties has changed somewhat and therefore the contractual documentation that was in place at the time is no longer relevant or the contract itself was drafted in a way that didn't meet needs of the parties involved. So if you'd gone back and looked at that contract, the chances are... You'd have been able to identify where the problems may arise and then you could try and find a solution which would have prevented the issues arising in the first place or at least provided a stronger basis should you know an issue arise moving forward. So very much prevention rather than cure. That's really what is driving 43 Legal is to, to provide advice, legal services to SMEs in a way that they can afford and in, in a manner that they perhaps haven't been used to previously, whereby they don't have to rely on their own knowledge to be able to identify the risk.
0: Okay, so that's your offering. How do people generally find out about you? How do you do your marketing? How do you grow as a business? What's your business development plan? And I ask this purely because a lot of people listening will be owners of small businesses who are going through similar kind of growth to yourself, to 43 Legal. How, How do you reach out and find new clients?
1: I don't know that I have the complete answer to that. What I do is I am a people's person, so I just speak to people. I try and meet new people. I get the word out there. I speak to people about what it is I'm looking to achieve in terms of 43 Legal. It seems to be, you know,
0: working. Okay, so you're a lawyer. You're also a business owner. Are there elements of your legal training that help you as a business owner? And I guess vice versa. Are there elements of your learnings as an SME owner that help you with regard to the law?
1: I think that the only way I can answer it is that by um, being a business owner helps me become a legal advisor in the sense that I, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing the same issues that all business owners are experiencing, you know, just because I, I've set up a law firm doesn't exonerate my business from the issues that affect all businesses. So I have that knowledge. And I suppose it paves the way in me hopefully identifying those issues to provide the legal knowledge that I have that I've acquired through my professional career that other business owners don't have to a certain extent.
0: Can you explain a bit more about examples of where the 43 legal approach has benefited clients?
1: Yeah there's a number of of examples I could probably provide. One of the things that obviously I major on in terms of 43 Legal is working within the business. More often than not, I come across clients in a distressed state. So one example that springs to mind is there's a client, a company that approached me and they had a director who wasn't a shareholder, but was a statutory director and they had resigned. And they had found literally a couple of days before he had left the employment, that it set up a company on Companies House. So when I looked into it for them, unfortunately there wasn't a service agreement in place, which is often a contract that is entered into with directors of companies. So there was no restrictive covenants as, as such. Although as a director under the Companies Act, there is obligations that a director has to a company even after they've left. So it wasn't all doom and gloom. Um, and when the company did some more delving into what happened I said you know I put them in touch with an IT company who was able to search the laptop the director that had left and basically he had downloaded and transferred confidential information relating to the company from those devices basically via USB and, and email it was client information and information relating to price charges contracts when contracts were due to terminate with clients and commercial information regarding the relationship with my client and their customers, which was rather concerning. The client was able to find a really old employment contract that he'd signed, and that employment contract had a clause. It may not have been the best, but it was still a clause which basically dealt with confidential information and how it belonged to the company and should only be used for the purposes of the company. So we got in touch, we put him on notes of what we found put him on notice of what his obligations were, both under the Companies Act and also the provision in this employment contract. And we asked that he destroy all information, provide various undertakings, so on and so forth. Anyway, for a long story short, we were able to come to a resolution in that regard, and he signed a settlement agreement and gave the various undertakings that was required. And luckily also agreed to pay our costs, which was quite useful for the client. But they were obviously very concerned as to what happened and that they'd exposed themselves in the way that they had. So I actually started to work within the business and identified the fact that their directors didn't have service agreements. There's no shareholders agreement. So I then became very much involved with the company in identifying the documents that they hadn't got, how they could improve those. I came on board and was able to help them in that respect so yeah that's probably an example of how 43d
0: can help final question and the worse your answer to this the more points you get this podcast is all about advice as we've discussed have you ever received and if so what was it a terrible piece of advice we'd like the worst piece of advice that you've ever received if you please Melissa
1: I I guess the piece of advice that springs to mind is what that careers advisor told me Richard let's go and do clerical work rather than
0: looking for a career in law did you ever meet up with that careers advisor ever after that meeting and and let her know that things were going well for you
1: no i did think about going back to the school to let them know but um you know life happens doesn't it so i never I, well, actually you did
0: uh melissa danks of uh, 43 legal thank you very much indeed for being on is me in conversation
1: thank you very much for having me
0: if you found Melissa's advice and insights useful and you'd like access to other experts covering all aspects of running a business, firstly, subscribe to the podcast and also head to ismianco.com, where you'll find all kinds of advice for business leaders. Thank you very much indeed for listening.